We have in front of us, or on your seats, everything you're going to cover, plus some that is not there. So I have uh, an accent. If you don't know what an accent sounds like, that's how, I, that's how an accent sounds like. So if you don't get me, those are the notes. Anything and everything I'm going to share word for word, unless the Lord has something else different from that. It, it was printed in a weird way. I'm from Africa. We don't have printers there, so I was just pressing. I'm just kidding. We have printers. <laughs> I, was, I was just pressing buttons. So where there's a title called Serve to Save to Serve, that's where it begins. They, it's going in a lot of different places. If you don't get anything, just know it's Jesus. Amen? That was the desire, Jesus. So just try to put Jesus at every paragraph, you get it. But mainly tonight, we, we want to talk about something that usually is a subtitle of our lives. So in our minds, at least in my mind, I was born and raised in the church. What we are going to talk about tonight was talked about as if it's an additional thing to what's the main thing. But the more I've been challenged and changed and given choices in life, it's becoming clear and clear to me that that's the main thing. Amen. Last time I came, I was teaching people how to respond to that. If I say hallelujah, just say amen. If I say amen, just say amen. Hallelujah. Amen. That's my way of seeing if we need some more red bulls in this, in this building or if we don't. We, we, we want to talk about something that is weird to talk about among believers because we are saved from works for works. And that becomes confusing. We are saved from works, but for works. If you don't believe me, go with me to the book of Romans chapter 10. Rather, Romans, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. A lot of us know this, but I want us to notice something weird the Bible talks about because I believe it's going to help us understand what we are talking about tonight. Because once we start talking about the topic we are, immediately there is, especially for those of us who grew up in church, there's this feeling in us that starts to say, yeah, I was saved from, by grace through faith, not by works. So we all know this verse, Ephesians 2, or I'm assuming we know all oh, we're going to know it today. Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible says from verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your undoing. It has nothing to do with you or me. It is the gift of God. Can we all say a gift? I've, I, I learned about this tradition when I moved to the U.S., that on Christmas, our friends here give each other gifts. You rub them. And I was surprised because I didn't pay a single penny. 
There was a lot of them. Because I was from Africa. So everyone was like, you don't get this tradition gift. And I was like, yeah, we're sad. Bring them. <laughs> and so I got a lot of gifts, but I did not pay a single dollar. That's what a gift is. From the kindness of another person. And the Bible is clear. God is so good that he has a lot of gifts. One of which is his one and only begotten son. And he gave him for free for each and every one of us to have him and also to be had by him. I wanted to, be, to say to be halved by him, but apparently there's no word that said halved. So to be possessed by God, to be owned, to belong to the very creator of the Pacific Ocean. And his mind and his eyes are so locked on you that you cannot run. There's nothing that comes to you that he doesn't know it first. I'm not talking about corporately. I'm talking about individually. He sent one son so that we can know that it's for one person. And that one person is you. By the way, he created one man in Eden called Adam so that we can know that salvation is not a group thing. Amen? It leads to a group thing. But salvation is so unique. It's so terramered for our lives. And we are saved by grace through faith. But the Bible doesn't stop there. It continues to say, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The reason why we are not saved by works is so that Enoch can never say, I do it better than my neighbor. Amen. Amen. So if you are new to this environment, please do not allow anyone to make you feel like you're any less than. Because they didn't work for it, just like you didn't work for it. Actually, the Bible says you are better off when you are last, because then you are first. Amen. Amen. But then verse 10 says something that is the point of our discussion tonight. It says, for we are his workmanship. Can we all say workmanship? That's a combination of three words. Workmanship. Workmanship created in Christ Jesus for something else. The Bible says good works. Can everyone say good works? So we are saved by grace through faith. And that is not of our own doing so that no one of us may boast. But we are at work. And the Bible calls us workmanship. That's our title. Because there are works, the Bible says, which God prepared beforehand. Now, that is where we're going to center tonight. That we should walk in them. I'll read it from that. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should what? Can we all say that word together? Can we say it together? If no one says it, I'm going to repeat again for the second time. What is the word? So the Bible is saying we are his workmanship, saved for good works, I thought the Bible is going to say so that we should work them. But the Bible changes. It uses another W word. It says so that we should walk in them. And I was confused at first. 
Why are you telling us that they're good works and then you are saying we should walk in them, not we should work them? That leads us to our conversation tonight. Why is it important for us to understand what washing feet means? If you got your notes, the passage we're going to be talking about today is John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Now remember, we are saying we are called for good works, but not to work them out, but to walk in them. And we want to try and discuss what that word means. Why is it that we are working with our legs, not with our hands? Why is it that we are working with our legs, not with our hands? John chapter 13. I'll start from this one. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew, number one, that the Father had put all things under his power, talking about authority, talking about kingship, kingdom. Number two, that he had come from God. And number three, that he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, there is a guy among the disciples. This guy was so talkative. The name is Peter. He had a very loud mouth. And here he's talking again. <laughs> Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing. But later you will understand. No, said Peter. You shall, not, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have, no my, you, have, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. He moves from saying, don't wash me. And as soon as Jesus says, if the feet are dirty, you are dead. And he goes, no, 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 then not just my feet. Wash everything, my hands, my, my head. And then Jesus, I didn't quote it in the notes, says, if you have your feet washed, everything is washed. Now, if you just move one chapter behind that passage, just one chapter behind John chapter 13, if anyone has been there before, can you read the title of John chapter 12? What is the headline of John chapter 12? Anyone who has a Bible? If not... Mary anoints Jesus at Bethany. If you read that, you find that Jesus, the chapter before, Mary took an anointing, an, an, a bottle, a jar, and then he goes to Jesus and he breaks it and he starts pouring it on the head of Jesus. The next chapter, Jesus did something 
that another woman in Matthew 26, in Matthew 26, did for Jesus. I wonder us that we're going to be in a lot of places, so bear with me. But there's a, there's a place we're going to. Matthew chapter 26. Verse 6 talks about another place that Jesus is also washed his feet. There's a woman who comes in the room. She's a prostitute and she comes and she takes, she takes her hair and she starts crying at the feet of Jesus. And then she starts wiping the legs of Jesus with her hair. And Judas is offended. He says, don't you know what she's doing? This woman is a prostitute and we know what this act is. That's how they start their business. And she's doing it in public? Come on now. The guy who was the owner of the house says to Jesus, if you really were a prophet, you would have known what this woman is doing. Jesus says this from verse 10 of Matthew 26. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this anointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. That's a very huge, a very huge word from, from Jesus. Matthew 26, this woman has just disturbed a meeting, like the way we are in here. And a woman walks in, and I'm sitting here, and she starts putting her anointing oil on my legs. You'd all be like, come on now, I know this is church, but I didn't come to say this. There's a woman coming and rubbing oil on the legs of the preacher, and Jesus says, actually, there's never going to be a place that the gospel is going to be preached where the gospel is going to be preached without telling the story of this woman. I want us to stop and think about that. Jesus is saying, as long as you're saying what we are preaching is the gospel, you cannot preach that without telling the story of a woman who comes and starts rubbing the feet of Jesus with an anointing oil. What is he talking about? That led me to thinking about Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 verse 14 and 15 is quoting Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah 52 verse 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings what? What is good news in that language? Gospel. So we can replace that word with a gospel. So let's put the gospel there. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings what? The gospel. Who publishes peace. Who brings the gospel of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, let's all say these words. 
Can we say them again? Those words are very important to understand. Why is it that Jesus is talking about feet and the gospel? Because we have always thought the gospel means Jesus died on the cross and we should receive him as Lord and Savior and start obeying his word. Yes, but that's not just the gospel. The gospel is also that last part. Now, why is it important for us to understand those words? This verse, when it is read in Israel, they understood what it meant. But for us, we have to have a backstory as to why. How many of us have, have ever heard the story of the four lepers in the Bible during the time of Elijah? There was a hunger, and there were these guys who were basically just outcasts. And they found food. And they started hiding the food. And the Bible says they start running back to the city. And they are running back to the city, and what they are telling the people is, we have found food. Amen? So when this verse says, beautiful are the feet of those upon the mountains who bring good news, the image that is there is an image of someone who was in battle. And while in battle, he just observed from afar that, oh my gosh, the enemy has been conquered. Even though the battle is still raging, but the enemy has been conquered. The king has been killed. The enemy king has been killed. So if you kill Adolf Hitler, it means Second World War is done. Those of us who are history nerds. So there's a guy who is coming back to the U.S. and say, guys, he's dead. Adolf Hitler is dead. So the Bible is saying, that guy who is coming back to say your God reigns, when you see his feet, you go, oh my gosh, those are the most beautiful feet. Why are they the most beautiful feet? Because they are coming to tell you that the battle is over, the enemy has been conquered, our king reigns. Amen. Amen. That is why you watch for the feet. There's another story. There's another story. It's a story in the Old Testament about David. Those of us who come to redemption. We, we were just going through a series of David, Saul, and, 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 and Solomon. David had another son, Abisalom, and he revolts. And there's a battle. Basically, David says, the, the, the soldier, when you go to the battle, spare my son. But when he goes to battle, the, the soldier, Eliab, kills Abisalom. There was two guys. There were two guys. One of them says, I want to go back and tell the king that the battle is finished because Abisalom is dead. And Eliab says, no, don't go. Because when David sees your feet, he's going to say, those are beautiful feet. Because those feet, when they come back, they come back with good news. To announce that my son is safe even though the battle is finished. Beautiful are the feet who come to publish the news that our God reigns. Amen. I want us to, to, to get this image that is beyond the story of the cross. To realize that the Bible goes beyond that story. Some of us might have heard the story of Eli. It's in the book of First Samuel. He's, he's, he basically has sons 
who are just doing weird stuff in the church. And Eli sits on the chair waiting for news to come back. And there's a guy who is coming, but his feet are not beautiful because he's coming to tell the, the Eli that the, the, the Ark of the Covenant is gone and your sons are dead. So there was always a guy who had to come back and say, because they didn't have cell phones, they didn't have telegrams, there was always a guy who had to come back and say, Jesus is dead, but he rose again. And he conquered death, so he rules and reigns. Then there are people who are supposed to go and publish that news. They are not supposed to fight the battle. They are not supposed to conquer the enemy. They are supposed to just go and tell the story that there's someone who when he meets demons, the demons say, why are you here to destroy us? Hallelujah. His name was Jesus. People would just touch his, his, his cloth and they would get healed. Now, when you read the book of Ephesians chapter 6, I was fascinated about something that is happening in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. It's talking about the famous story about the armor of, of God. And then it talks about put on the helmet of what? What is the helmet? Salvation. Salvation. Wow, thank God there's some biblical people in here. And then the belt of something. Oh my gosh, thank you. And then the shield of something. Thank you so much. And then the sword. But verse 15, those of us who have Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15 says... Can we all read together on the, that thing? <laughs> One, two, three, go. I thought you taught me that salvation is the head. Why are we hearing that the gospel has to do with it? I, I asked the church and said, put on the helmet of what? And salvation has to do with the gospel, but verse 15 is saying, let's read again. What is happening? Why are we saying salvation and then there's gospel and feet? Why? Because the word gospel, the word gospel goes with another word, it's called evangelism. You Hungaria. I learned from Jeremy Olimba, one of our pastors. And it's a word of this boy who is coming to publish, to proclaim, to say, Jesus reigns. And your job, your job is not to die on the cross for the world. Your job is to say, it's too good. What Jesus has done is too much. I can't sit still. I'm going to go and tell someone that our God reigns. Is that too much to ask not to die for, for, for your neighbor. Not to heal them, not to cancel them. Just to walk with your feet and say, I know someone. His name is Jesus. And he reigns. And he reigns with peace. His gifts and his fruit is righteousness, peace, joy. Love, peace, joy, whatever. Those nine things. Who knows them? 
Oh my gosh, can we clap for this too? <laughs> Those are gifts that are freely given. How many of you know someone who needs a little bit of peace in 2023? Can you raise your hand? How many of us know someone who just needs a little bit of the gift of righteousness? Because they have tried to stop sinning on their own and they're failing. They have done everything you can tell them. How many of us know someone? I'm not going to ask you if you're one of them. I'm just saying if you know someone. <laughs> Guys, he came. John 3.16 doesn't say, for God so loved the church. I have news for us. John 3.16 says, for God so loved what? Not the church. Not the church. We have thought so long and for so hard that God loves the church. The Bible doesn't say, for God so loved the world, the, the church. The Bible says, God loved that person. That person who cannot come here. And if you are here, you are feeling uncomfortable. And the Bible says, he did not just give you peace. He did not just give me anything. What did he give? His only son. I don't know if we know what that means, brothers and sisters. But I'm here to tell us a story. That Jesus tells it better. He says, what is the greatest commandment? What are Christians for? And there's a guy who raises his hand and he said, I have the answer. I have the answer. It's two. What is the first one? Love the Lord your God with what? Oh my gosh, it's so easy to teach a 710. Everyone knows the scripture. Love your God with everything. You don't have space for anything else other than God. Because if it's your mind, it has to be thinking about who? If it's about your strength, you go to the gym like Henrik and, and our pastor Corey, it's what? The strength is for God. If it's, your, if it's your heart, it's not for bay or boo. It's for God. I am married, but I'm here to tell you my heart is not for my wife. If I give my heart to my wife, I'm giving her the polluted, poisonous heart, and it's going to kill her and me. I'm supposed to give my heart to God and have God give his heart to my wife through me. Amen. Amen. The minute I focus on my wife, oh my gosh, I'm like, why did I do this? Why did I, it's so hard. But the minute I focus on God, I give my heart to God. God says, I can exchange your heart for mine and God give it to your wife. And my wife is like, oh my gosh, my husband is so patient. I'm like, you don't know. <laughs> you don't know the killing that is happening. I had to tread hearts. I had to go to Jesus, take my heart, Lord, please. And we're here, the world is telling us, give your heart to your boot. Trust me, you don't want another heart. Your heart is enough. How many are saying this is true? That I haven't figured out my heart. I want this, but my heart says do that. And I finish doing it and I feel bad. Like, oh my gosh, I did it again. I'm going to change, I'm going to change. And then tomorrow, I want this. My heart, the heart is deceitfully wicked and who can know it. And yet the Bible says the solution is to love God. Not with some of your heart. Or of your heart. There's no room for anything or anyone else in your heart apart from God. After that, the Bible doesn't say love yourself. 
What does the Bible say? Love your neighbor. But it's fascinating that the Bible says the way you love your neighbor is the way you love yourself. Wait a minute. You didn't tell me how to love myself. You just say love God and love your neighbor. You didn't teach me how to love yourself because God is the image in whom you were married. So if you practice loving God, you are practicing loving yourself because looking at God is like looking in the mirror. Amen. I said, look at the very first paragraph. If someone can read for us the very first paragraph of the notes. Anyone who has her eyes that are not gone. Like... Let me read it for us again. <laughs> Not that Matthew didn't do a good job. <laughs> they killed Jesus because being God, he looked like man. They didn't kill him because he wasn't doing God-like things. He was doing every God-like things. Resurrecting people from the dead, walking on water. He made one of the first miracles he did. It was the most amazing miracle. What was the miracle? Water into wine. I love that miracle. I don't know about you, but I love that miracle. He turned water into wine. So he did everything as God. But they didn't kill him because he didn't have proof or evidence that he was God. But they killed him because they know his sisters. In, Romans, in, in, in Mark chapter 6, they start arguing. We know your brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. And your sisters are with us. And your mother, we know the story of your mother. She was sleeping with her boyfriend before they got married, and that's why you were born. Because we don't buy this virgin birth story. So you're going to tell us, you're what? God, he looked so much like them that when Judas was about to betray him, he had to show them who he was because he was looking like fishermen. So he had to kiss him. And they were like, oh yeah, we would have killed Peter. And we all know what Peter did if you try to kill him. He had a sword and he was cutting ears. So they had to go to the right one. Why? He looked like your neighbor. Can you look at your neighbor? Just look at your neighbor. If Jesus was here, he would have looked like them. And so the last miracle that Jesus did, one of the last things that Jesus did in that room, he takes off his clothes and he bows down and he starts washing their feet before he sends them to God. So that when they see them, they can really say, how beautiful are the feet. Because they were the feet that were washed by Jesus himself. Let me say that again. One of the last things Jesus did before he was killed was this we read in John chapter 13. He took off his clothes and he bows down and he starts washing their feet so that when they start going... They can say, how beautiful are the feet of those who are coming to publish good news. Why is it very important to wash feet? It is important because the order of our salvation is in five W's. If you forget anything, remember these W's. 
The first W is the Word. That's the first W. We need to be in the Word. But the second W is after we are in the Word, we have to walk. And then we have to wake. And then we have to be wise on how we wake, but we have to wake in the world. Amen. And that doesn't require our hands. That's why we, we say we are walking alongside each other. We don't say we are waking alongside each other. Guys, the most important asset we have are ears. And if we can just learn the art of going to our neighbor and say, hi, how are you doing? What's going on in your life? I don't have to do anything apart from saying, I'm going to go pray for you. And watch what God starts to do in prayer when you're praying for your neighbors. He starts telling you things and showing you things how you can come alongside each other. Hallelujah. Amen. What I'm challenging us to, tonight is, we are not kings. Jesus is king. He did the job. When he said it, it is finished. Our job is to tell each other and tell ourselves what he did on the cross and watch what will start to happen if we can believe that he finished the work. Amen? I shared a little story about the first miracle Jesus did, which is a miracle, which is a miracle, which is a miracle of turning wine, turning water into wine. And I was fascinated about that miracle because the stones that he used to turn water into wine, theologians argue that the water is the very same water and it's from the same bucket that Jesus uses to wash the disciples' feet at the very end. And so Jesus takes water and turns it into wine to make people happy. And it's fascinating that the very first time the disciples start, start going to publish this good news, what happens? There's a bunch of people from different parts of the world, and the disciples, under the power of the Holy Spirit, they start, they start speaking in other tongues. And if you go to Acts chapter 2, they start listing the languages that they start hearing. They go, we know these, they are mere fishermen, but they are speaking my, my language. If I was there, I would have heard, hey, what I'm saying makes sense to me, but it doesn't make sense to some of us. But it's a language, this is my original language. On the day of Pentecost, Everyone didn't have to learn Jewish language. The Jews who were fishermen knew everyone's language. And that was the sign that the Holy Spirit has come. Let me say that again. On the day of Pentecost, it was not the job of strangers to learn the Jewish language. It was the job of the Jews to learn other people's language and speak their language. Guys, they don't have to look like us. We have to learn their language. And the Holy Spirit is here to help us. I have a neighbor who is weird. I don't know how to talk to them. The Holy Spirit will make you speak in tongues. <laughs> Amen. And the Bible says this. They said, oh my gosh, they are drunk with wine. Now, I'll finish with another beautiful story. 
It's a story that is found in the book of Genesis, chapter 11. A group of guys gather together and they start saying, you know what, let's go to God. So we are going to build something. So they were all speaking one language and they wanted to build their own little tribe. What did God do? He came down, disturbed them, and that's the first time we read in the Bible about people speaking different languages. Why? This God is not about one language. This God is about every language. And the minute we start creating our own language in this room that strangers cannot understand, we are creating something else other than a kingdom. Because last I checked, a kingdom have different people with different things and different languages. Amen. Brothers and sisters, Washing each other's feet means understanding that each and everyone in this room, whether we like it or not, has been sent by God to go tell a story. Each and everyone. And the, one of the curses that God gave to this world was thorns and thistles. From dirt you came, to dirt you shall return. And if you read the book of Mark chapter 6, the Bible says, when, they, when you go and they don't receive you, what is it that you're supposed to do if they don't receive you? You're supposed to dust off the dirt from your feet. Because you walked a long distance and you went to proclaim the gospel, and they say, no, we don't want it. So you have just walked and your feet are, are, are dirty. So you don't have to demand and say, you're supposed to wash my feet. I came bringing you good news. You're going to wash my feet. You're going to appreciate the gospel. No, you can do it on your own. Dust off the feet and go on your way. But we're not supposed to be dusting our own feet, brothers and sisters. We're supposed to look at each other and say, brother, I know the work you're doing is amazing. I'm here for you. And if no one is doing it for us, there's a man. His name is Jesus. He's still washing feet to this day. If we can learn how to sit down so that he can have access to our feet. Amen? Amen. Because he was able to wash their feet because they were sitting down with him and eating. We have to learn to come to the feet of Jesus. And we, we have to learn to be humble, not like Peter. I am, you, you can't wash me, Jesus. No, he wants to serve us. Because when he serves us, we know how to save others. I'm here to challenge us, brothers and sisters, that God cares. And guess what? What we think is a byproduct, it's a primary purpose of Jesus' life. If you ever read the Bible, read the book of Luke chapter 4. The very first sermon Jesus preached, the very first it's called the manifesto, the mission statement. If you're going to hold me accountable, hold me accountable to these things. It's in Luke chapter 4. I've forgotten the verse. But the Bible says, Jesus, what does it say? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me. Let's go there at our own time. He has anointed me, and he mentions five things, and among those five things are those who are sick, those who are in bondage, any kind of bondage, mental bondage, they just can't get over their mind. They try, but there's so much fog in their mind. Jesus came for them. 
And the manifesto of Jesus is for those who are imprisoned, the strangers, those who are in prison. He says, these are my mission statement. They are not my byproduct. Today, what we have done in the church, we have said, you are sick, thank you so much, I'm going to 710, I'm going to pray for you. Yet when Jesus comes, he's going to go home and sit with that person who is sick because he came for those. Amen. I'm trying to encourage us today, brothers and sisters, to say Jesus stops for the man on the way to Jericho. And that man is me every day. And that man is you every day. He stopped. We are wounded. We are in blood. We are hurt and broken. And Jesus is stopping by and saying, you know what? Have my horse. You can ride on the horse. I'm going I'm to pay for you to stay as long as you want until you are better. He takes care of us because then we can start stopping for those who are hurting. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if we can use our works more than our words? You see, they can debate about our gospel word but they cannot debate about our, work, our gospel works. I mean, I love you. What are you going to do about it? I'm going to be kind to you. What are you going to do about it? I don't need your permission to love you. So if I start coming to your house and every day bringing a meal, you can call the cops and I'm going to find another way of loving you. I'm going to find out what does she need. She needs school fees. I'm going to raise money and pay for your school fees. That, that, that person is creepy. I'm going to start sending people. Trust me, they can argue with our words, but they cannot argue with our love. If we can learn that it's easier to walk and spread the gospel by working it out, we'll find out that it's not hard to preach because preaching is always, and sometimes we have to use our words. Amen. And then maybe, maybe people can be looking at us and say, oh my gosh, they're drunk, they're speaking my language, yet they don't even know me. They have never been to jail, but they understand jail language. They're not black, but they understand the pain of being black. They're not white, but they understand the pain of being white and trying to not sound racist every time. <laughs> I've said it. <laughs> they, are, they are not from Africa, but they understand poverty. They are not from the, from the U.S., but they understand the, the wooing of riches. One of the best friends I have at this church is by a guy named Matthew. Some of you know him. And I like this dude because I tried to fit in in this church. I tried. But there are people who preach. There are people who love better than I can do. There are people who do everything better than I do. And one day, I talked to this guy, Matthew. And we chilled, we talked, and we found out we are, we are, we are crazy together. Our minds are always wandering. We're trying to control our minds. We are over exaggerated everything. We are like, oh my gosh, I found a brother. And it was right here. We talked, we talked. The other day I'm coming, and I saw this dude wiping tables, picking up trash. And I was like, oh my gosh, I know that. I don't know how to preach, but I know how to pick trash. If I can just come to this church and help with picking up trash, and wiping table. So I made a deal. I was like, dude, is it okay if I can be walking alongside you? He was like, I mean, I don't mind. It's just trash. But I found out I can preach with my hands better than I can preach with my words. And he's become my best friend to this day because I know how to do that. I know how to work. Can we do that with our neighbors? Those of us who are still kids, can you try do that to your parents? 
those of us who are still in school, can we try to just use our works to demonstrate our words? They will say, beautiful are the feet of those who come and publish this good news. And they should ask us, why are you doing this? We should say, Jesus washed my feet. I'm here to wash feet. Dear Heavenly Father, we need your power to do your words, Lord. So we pray in the name of Jesus. You are the only one who can do this better than we can, Lord. Help us that our words become our, our walk and our walk become our works and our works are not done just in the church but in the world so that when they see us, they might know that our God is good.